You are listening to episode 10 with Mike Coots. Welcome to the Keep Standing Podcast with hosts Shane Parent and Nathan Woods. Each week we bring you interviews of inspiring individuals embarking on crazy adventures on and off the water. We are stoked that you have joined us. Let's get started. Hey everyone and welcome to the Keep Standing Podcast episode number 10. Super t- pumped about today's episode, but before we get into that, you may have noticed that we're missing episode 9. Well, come to find out, some of the information that was shared on episode 9 was classified information, and we ended up needing to take it down. We are waiting to get clearance on it, so if and when we do, we'll make sure to get it out to you. But the good thing is, I guess the show is getting noticed and people are listening, so Shane and I are very thankful for that. But for today, we have an truly inspirational guest, someone I've been following for a while now. Mike Coots is a surfer and photographer who at the age of 18 years old was attacked by a tiger shark in his home island of Kauai. Now at the age of 35, Mike is becoming known not just for his epic photos on Instagram and his ability to shred the surf with his prosthetic, but also for working with organizations to help save the shark from being killed off. In our conversation today, we talk about his process to learn to surf again, being a mentor to other adaptive athletes, who inspires him, and what he does on a daily basis to keep standing. I caught up with Mike right before he headed out for the ISA World Adaptive Surfing Championships in La Jolla, California. So we talked about the first time event and this excitement surrounding it. I truly believe you'll love listening to Mike and the attitude he has towards life. So with that, let's get into the show. All right. Welcome back to the Keep Standing Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I got an awesome guest for today, someone who I've been following for a while on Instagram. I'm sure you might have too. He's a surfer, photographer, and victim of a shark attack accident, but that's not nearly what defines this guy. Mike Coots, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Nathan. Well, how are things? You're up early on the island of Kauai right now. I am. Uh, it's a beautiful morning. It's about 8 o'clock or so, and um, I leave this evening to go to the Adaptive uh, Surfing Championships in La Jolla, so I'm just kind of doing some last-minute packing and about to uh, go for a beach run. Beach run. That, that would be great. I, I'm in Eugene, Oregon, where even if you go to the Oregon coast, beach runs are full-on sweatshirts and everything else so um it's very envious right now of you but um we'll get into the those the isa world adaptive surfing championships here in a little bit but before we get into that let's give just the listeners a little backstory just kind of who you are um what what you do and just kind of a quick synopsis of of who mike coots is yeah um i was born and raised here on Kauai. um grew up, I guess, like a lot of kids on island, um, near the ocean, in the water pretty much every day, um, and wanted to be a professional bodyboarder. Um, my friends were either all bodyboarders or surfers, and it was kind of, you know, you picked one thing and you just, that's what you did. You just bodyboarded all day long, uh, you know, get out of school and bodyboard, bodyboard, bodyboard. So I really wanted to be a professional bodyboarder. Um, when I was 16, parents got citizenship in New Zealand, and uh, we basically packed up and went to New Zealand, and um, I just 
fell in love with the place, um, met some cool friends that took me around and, and we just surfed and bodyboarded pretty much the entire time. And, um, my parents wanted me to finish up high school in Hawaii. So when I was a senior, we came back and I joined a bodyboarding team. Um, and was entering a lot of local events and, and things in California and whatnot. And, Graduated high school and um, it was early October. I was with my bodyboarding coach and team and we um, went down to a, a beach on the west side of our island. Um, and because it was, you know, sort of the, the beginning part of the winter season here in Hawaii um, and it was kind of a long summer, I remember, with not too many salt swells, we were pretty excited to get in the water. And this was the very first day of the very first swell. Um, and we got to the beach. You know, and I remember smelling this crazy, weird, foul stench in the air. But because the waves were finally up, it was like nothing was going to stop us from getting out there. So I, I went out with my team. Um, my coach was on the beach filming, and, and we all got out there. It was about 7 or so in the morning, and, um, real overcast and kind of gray. But um got out there, and I was about 100 yards or so off the beach in about 30 feet of water. Um, all my friends that I, I'd gone to the beach with, they all waves, and they – you know, they were the first ones to kind of get some nice rides. And I was sitting out the back with a guy I hadn't known. And I just remember looking inside and seeing all my friends paddling back out. And, and a nice wave came. And I was like, okay, you know, this is this is going to be my wave. And I, I looked at the surfer next to me. Um, You know how you don't really want to share a wave surfing. I, I remember thinking, okay, I hope this guy doesn't try to catch the same wave that I'm going to catch. And as soon as I, I got on my bodyboard and made that initial motion to paddle for the wave, a large tiger shark came up underneath me and um, basically just like grabbed onto me and started shaking me back and forth. Um, it wasn't a real painful event or anything. I just remember this fight or flight instinct and mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. And I, I stuck my right hand in his mouth to get my legs out and, and that didn't work. It started getting a better grip on my, my right leg. And with my other hand, I just started swinging at it, gave it a couple good punches. And um, I think it was a second punch. It let go and went back underwater. And I got back on my board and I looked at my index finger, and it was just completely split open like a potato where, you, you know, I could see the bone and tissue, blood. And I, I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm hurt. And um, I looked at the surfer that I was next to, and his eyes were out of his head. His, he was ghost white, and he was in total panic mode, and he just started taking off to the beach. So I, I um, just started paddling behind him, uh, you know, back to, back to shore. And, um, as I'm paddling, my right leg started doing this crazy spasm type shake. And I, I thought, you know, the shark's finishing me off. I'm going to, I'm going to die and this and that. And I looked back thinking I was going to see a huge shark. And what it was, was, um, it was just my leg amputated off and it was shaking oh, from geez. the amputation. Um, it was out of like a really, you know, gory movie. And, uh, and luckily I didn't have too much time to think about, but you know, this situation a little wave came i caught it rode it right up to the sand my friends around the inside they all caught the same whitewash in with me they dragged me up higher my um, friend kyle quick thinking took my leash and made a tourniquet um to stop the bleeding and they dragged me up a little higher and i remember him trying to you know say a prayer for me and i, I closed my eyes and when the prayer was over there was a pickup truck there um they threw me in the back of the pickup truck and we basically you know went full speed to the to the er um got to the er and i, I went conscious and and uh, woke up uh, the next day in our big hospital uh, at an amputee, um, and the recovery uh, started from then. Where where was the amputee? Is it above the knee, below the knee? Um, below the knee. The, the shark attacked right above the right above the ankle, um, kind of halfway up the shin. And then what they did is the surgeons amputated a little higher up because yeah. um, shark's teeth are a little dirty and, and there's a good risk for infection, so they wanted a really clean amputation. So I lost my um, basically right at the shin, so I. I still have my knee, um, 
which I'm very fortunate for. Now, I mean, as an 18-year-old, I mean, just a little backstory also. My 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 significant injury, although it was football, it was as an 18-year-old too. And at that age, I think you're you're still figuring out yourself. I think, and you would yeah. I would imagine you agree. What what was it? Or how did you handle as an 18-year-old once you kind of started realizing what was going on and the, the life that you're going to – it just flipped out upside down for you? What was kind of going through your head as an 18-year-old, if you remember? Yeah. Um, well, very initially, I'd say the first week or so, I was happy to be alive, really thankful. Yeah. I, I kind of thought I wasn't going to make it through, you know, on that drive in the back of a pickup truck, um, basically bleeding to death. So the very first week I, I was just, it was one of those I'm alive kind of thing with my family and friends in the hospital and, you know, lots of hugs and crying. And, um, it was a, a you know, kind of a couple of weeks after that, that it was more what's going to happen to the rest of my life kind of thing. Um, because obviously the, that pro bodyboarding vision, um, wasn't going to be there anymore. And, um, you, you sort of just got, I guess, got to adapt. And I, I, you know, you're, it's at that age where you're not super young, where you're, wor- I mean, I wasn't too much worried about my appearance because I know that's a big issue for a lot of amputees. You're, yeah. you know, you look up, you're, you basically, you look different and things like that. And, um, about five days into my hospital stay, I had, I had no idea about amputees. And, and this was a little bit before. Or the, you know, social media and all of these visuals that you can see really fast on your phone or on mm-hmm. your computer. Um, so I had no idea about being an amputee or about prosthetics or anything. And a guy came to visit me in the hospital and he only stayed for five minutes or so. And he had pants on and he left. Um, and my mom mentioned afterwards, he's, he's an amputee and he walks the prosthetic. And I was like, prosthetic? And it kind of opened my eyes right there as that I will walk again. I, I think the very first day that I was going to be wheelchair bound and on crutches. And, you know, you really don't know what what it's like. Like, because you, like, at least on an island, you don't see amputees day to day. And I think yeah. most people just where they live, you don't see that quite a bit. Um, so until you become one, then you, you, you start learning about it. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was one of those things early on, I was very happy to be alive. And, and after that, it just, it was a slow process of learning how to use my prosthetic and, and things like that. Were you, I mean, you, you mentioned your mom, were you surrounded by just a lot of support? Just I was, yeah. And, and there was no hatred to, you know, why were you in the water or why did this do this or we need to go kill sharks or anything like that it was just pure love um it felt like the whole island was there sort of lending a helping hand i, I honestly never felt love like that in my life so absolutely incredible and, and very thankful for that and then that kind of i imagine helped because it was very similar with me helped kind of just bring you to a kind of a peace with the whole situation and kind of yep. that circumstance absolutely and then so you, you're 18 year old you take a couple years to figure it out um how long did you get back into the water fairly quickly or did that take a little while? Um, it was about a little after a month, uh, five weeks or so. And that was basically when the stitches and staples came out. Um, mm-hmm. and that, and that I, the doctor, you know, gave the AOK to get in the water. Um, and that was the hardest time to be honest to the whole thing was I had prior to that been in the ocean every day and to be out of the water prime winter's beginning season for that long, um, was a bit difficult. And, um, um, I had a lot of friends that were, you know, into surfing and bodyboarding almost professionally, I started taking photos of them with my downtime. And that's sort of what blossomed my love of photography. And, and that's kind of what, cho- you know, helped nourish my career path that I'm at now was, was those few weeks hot, out of the water and finally was able to put my energy into something else as, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, no, no, I I, mean, I completely agree. I think the, I mean, there's never a lot of times uncir- unfortunate crises or um, circumstances lead to, 
Other awesome things. opportunities. Yeah. Um, and, and, obviously, and that's when you grow and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's your, yours led to the opportunity to find photography, which is you, your career now, right? That's, I mean, that's what you do. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, that's awesome. Um, so you, you, you spent some time as a young kid and then it's been 17 years now. So what, what's the last 17 years been kind of being, you, you figured out how to use a prosthetic to surf. You've, Yep. Um, yeah, I, um, so my, my photography just kind of grew. It's, you know, that, that bodyboarding career was out the window and I initially tried to work at a surf shop and standing around on a prosthetic all day, I got these incredible blisters and I even had to go to the ER to get them cut open. And I was just like, there's not many jobs, on, you know, on an Island that aren't tourism based where you're standing around or running around. And so I really had to sort of figure out what the next step was going to be. And, um, I was like, well, I love photography. So I went off to Santa Barbara, um, and was there about a year or so um, going to photo school and the waves that aren't the greatest for bodyboarding, you know, they're really good point breaks and things like that better for surfing. And one day I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this prosthetic in the ocean. Um, I had been told in Hawaii for my prosthetist, do not, whatever you do, take it in the ocean. It'll break. It'll avoid the warranty. You won't be able to fix it. Your insurance won't cover all these things, you know, don't, don't, don't. And I was just like, screw this. And, um, I remember just walking into the ocean at Ledbetter Beach. Um, I had a wetsuit on over it. I, I took a few steps in the water, and I stopped, you know, for five minutes or so. And I was like, took a few more steps in. And um, eventually, I, I was on this, you know, this bigger oversized board, and I was paddling out. And I was like, okay, I, I, I hope this doesn't turn out too bad. And sure enough, I was able to stand up. Um, I rinsed the leg out. It didn't break. Springs weren't flying out the sides. It didn't corrode the next day. It held up really well. And, um from there, I just kept taking the water, kept rinsing it out, um, and, and figuring out what works well for surfing. And, um, so, you know, sort of got this, like the movie North Shore, you start with a really big board. And then a few weeks later, you're on a little bit smaller board. And, yeah. um, now I'm, you know, now I'm on a five ten shortboard, um, with, with a prosthetic that's specially made for surfing. Have you been kind of, as far as that prosthetic, have you been kind of working? Do you work with your prosthetic? Have you did you work a lot with your prosthesis to get kind of a leg down that worked great for you all with with surfing? Yeah, or, early on, um, I, I had a prosthetist Dan here in Hawaii, and um, he was like, "Well, maybe you know, you know, you're obviously we can't stop you from taking in the water, so let's figure out what's going to yeah. hold up the best." And he gave me this rubber foot, and um, the insurance covered, it and I was having really you know a lot of amputees, a lot of a lot of issues with insurance covering things, and yeah. you break something you're you know it's going to be a few years to get something else and it's 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 that's a whole another issue in itself but um i had this rubber foot for a long time and it worked okay for surfing um you would try to bottom turn and all the energy would get absorbed in the rubber wouldn't really turn the board hmm. um and and i've been fortunate with with gopro and instagram and social media i started taking photos of this rubber foot and myself surfing and trying you know trying to get some some different angles going and, and what my head would tell a good story and um it caught the attention of an icelandic prosthetic company called osur yeah um they're actually the leader in the world with prosthetics mm -hmm. um knee braces and, and things like that and um they loved what i was doing and they they you know flew me to iceland and i got specially made carbon fiber legs for surfing and boy was it night and day being able to surf on carbon fiber compared to rubber oh. um carbon it's an incredible material like you know bend down and that energy gets absorbed into the carbon and then holds it until it's the right moment and then releases that energy and for surfing it, it works wonders it's, and it's that's amazing what the, 
Yeah, the technology they've been able to put into yep. legs, especially just probably the last few years. Incredible. I mean, I remember there's there was a time, and it's not even it's, there's a time and there's still times where, um, you know, I, my leg is still attached. It I didn't it wasn't amputated, but I don't have any use of my foot. And there's times when I look at like all the technologies and prosthesis, I was like. <laughs> Dang, in a sense, like I wish he would have, just because you know I might have been, I might be even more mobile um, with that. But um, obviously, I, I'm very thankful to have my life. Uh-huh. But it basically just goes into the what they're being able to figure out with with the technology. In the and future, I mean, even in five, ten years, it's going to be incredible what's out there. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's a really exciting time. Yeah. So you, you've been you responded to your circumstance. I mean, I would say very just positively, which. Um, I want to get into this a little bit, and it's kind of a thing that you got you got some news this past year because of it. Um, instead of not being someone who obviously you got back into the surf, and that's one thing, but you're also a huge advocate for the life of sharks. Um, get into that, give it, get into that a little bit for us. Just kind of why you you feel like that's important, and why if it took any, what kind of courage it took to be able to do that. Yeah. Um... I, I was contacted a few years ago um, by a lady named Debbie on the East Coast, and she's a shark attack survivor, and she wanted to know if I knew about shark finning. Um, and I had not, uh, you know, amazingly through all these years of being a shark attack survivor, I was more just, I'd hear everybody's good shark stories and things like that, and I really didn't know about the overfishing of sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had me watch this documentary called Shark Water, and um, I was incredibly blown away by it. Um, they had some figures on the movie about, um, it said 70 million sharks a year killed for their fins, and that number blew my mind. Um, and then she uh, followed up a few days later with a phone call and was like, you know, um, we're kind of getting these shark attack survivors together to sort of speak on behalf of protection of sharks. Um, and she gave me the science of what's happening um, with overfishing and the decline of shark stocks around the world and the impact it was gonna, it ha- is having on our oceans and marine ecosystems. And um, I was like, you know, I mean, uh, of course I'd love to help. I love the oceans. I love surfing. Uh, you know, we live on an island. Ocean is everything to all of us, and the ocean is a huge thing in this world. Um, and um, so she had come to Washington and um, lobby. Um, I met up with some senators, and we um, helped get a bill passed that um, basically – sort of close some loopholes on what was doing um, in America with shark finning. Um, and what shark finning is, is it's um, these long liners and these commercial fishermen, they go out and they cut off the fins of the shark and they dump the rest of the shark overboard because the fins are worth a lot of money in um, Asian delicacies. They make huh. shark fin soup with it. Um, and it's a real status symbol in places like China um, where you want to show your wealth and, and show um, you know how well your family is doing and, and business connections and things like that. So there's a huge demand for it. Um, um, and it's incredibly a, a valuable, lucrative market. Um, but the, the market for the flesh of the shark is nothing. It's, it's like 20 cents a pound, whereas shark finning, I think shark fins right now are at three to $400 a pound. Oh, so it's not worth keeping the, you know, the flesh. So what they do is they dump the shark alive back in the ocean. And without its fins, it swims in circles for a couple of days and ends up dead on the ocean floor. Um, and it's a great waste of, you know, you know, of all this meat. And, and I'm not, you know, against fishing and things, but it's just a real barbaric thing to do to take a little bit of an animal and um, him, and get rid of the rest. And what's yeah, and what's compounded by it is that this is done at such a uh, huge rate. Um, and sharks are very slow to mature and very slow, you know, to give pups and things like that. Um, and 
Um, they play, you know, they're an apex predator at the top of the food chain. So they have this invaluable role of kind of holding the entire food web together. And I think science is really starting to show the importance of sharks in a yeah. healthy marine ecosystem. Um, they, they're one of the most important species in our oceans. Um, so at the rate they're getting killed, 70 million a year, it's shark stocks are going to go down incredibly fast these next few years. And, and before you know it, we won't have any sharks in the ocean. And without sharks, we won't really have an ocean left. Um, and it's, it'll be a very sad state. So I'm just sort of, I guess, using leverage as a, a shark attack survivor to sort of speak out for these animals. And it makes great press um, with the irony of, you know, somebody <laughs> yeah. speaking off or something that nearly took their life. And I've, you know, I've been told I'm, I'm crazy or that I have Stockholm syndrome um, and things like that. But I, re- I really feel passionate. And um, I really think when the shark attacked me, it wasn't wanting to eat humans. It was just mistaken identity. And it's just something that, you know, happens in our oceans. Um, and, and I guess it's just a, a turning something tragic, you know, and it does something a little bit more positive. And it, it really, um, I, I feel compelled in my heart that it's the right thing to do. And has that just been something in the last couple of years that you've really kind of been yep. getting into that? Yep. Yep. And, and the more I learn about it and, and just, um, the, the more I feel like compelled, you know, this is one of the reasons maybe why I got attacked by the shark, um, is, is to do something like this. Um, it's just, there's more and more shark fishing going on. And, um, and I, I think with social media, there is a little bit of a change on our perception on sharks. Um, you know, for a long time since Jaws, people thought of sharks just as these crazy mindless killers um and I, I think as we learn more and more about them that they're really smart um they're not out to, to kill indiscriminately um i mean sharks predate the dinosaurs they, yeah. they've survived mass extinctions they've gone through crazy ice ages so i really think they're there for a reason and and they just make the ocean a really interesting place think how boring earth would be with without you know a shark i, I think they're really cool and um yeah they're they're very very important in our marine ecosystem I agree. No, I just, I got to convince my wife of that a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you're not only kind of an advocate for sharks. Um, you're also kind of, and you got a, kind of a campaign going on currently, I believe, just kind of work with, with amputees and prosthetics and kind of the dynamics. And you kind of mentioned it earlier that it's, it's difficult for individuals who, who need these, these prosthetics to move and go on with their daily life. Um, What's kind of going on right now that you're you're speaking out against or up for? Yeah, um, well, yeah. Well, there's just there's a lot of um, issues with insurance. Um, we're not wanting to pay out because prosthetics are expensive. Um, but any any amputee will tell you that they'd much rather you know have a, a leg that they can visit their family or go to work or just you know do fun things like golf or things like that much more than any you know new truck or boat or even a house. It's really the most important as an amputee. Um, it's crucial to be you know basically having a life. Um, so th- there's a lot of crazy things going on with insurance companies wanting to cut funding for it. And there's even things like I think New York state has a one life, a limb policy, which is absurd because things break. Um, I mean, I've, I've lost a couple of prosthetics alone in the ocean. Um, but you know, everything breaks that's man-made on yeah. this note, but to have to be able to give the one. So, um, I think through social media, um, there's a bit of change going on right now with mindsets of, 
amputees, um, and and even the, you know that word disabled has been used quite a bit, and I think it's sort of being replaced now by the word adaptive, um, yeah. because with technology and and with just the, the state of the world now and and medical advances, really there's there's nothing you can't do as as an amputee. Um, there's there's a lot of resources out there, and and like I said early on when you know that guy came to visit me in the hospital, um, and I had no idea about being an amputee or about prosthetics. Um, I think that's a really common thing for a lot of new amputees and um i i really enjoy going to hospitals and things of that yeah. nature to somebody that just becomes an amputee and maybe the second day in i go up and i you know show them a couple photos on my phone of what i can do with my prosthetic and answer questions that they have and um sort of you know on, on a on a real level, I guess, because it's one thing for somebody to come in and, you know, the doctor and say, oh, you're going to be able to ride a bicycle or this or that, but actually have a amputee come in and say, yeah, you're going to be able to ride a bike faster than ever or, you know, run or, or run the beach or, or this or that. I think it's a real esteem building thing early on in that stage. And, and I really enjoy being being that peer coming in early and, and speaking to amputees. Yeah, and I mean, I can just say we I know it's appreciated people who, who did that. I remember just football players that came to me, whether, you know, that were called football players who dealt with an injury and things like that. And, um, uh-huh. just getting that kind of an, um, encouragement from, from individuals is huge. And I too, I, I, I love doing that. And that's what, you know, we're trying to do through, through keep standing through the podcast is all, some people might not have that individual that they can do it through, but, you know, hopefully your story and other stories that we'll do, um, will inspire others. Um, with kind of the world of adaptive, um, you a lot of adaptive surfers are coming together, not just amputees, but um, those who have some form of paralysis, and others are coming together this weekend for the ISA World Adaptive Surfing Championships, and that's what you're coming to La Jolla, and it's the very first ever, right? It is, yeah. Um, it should be an incredible time. Um, I don't think there's ever been anything like this done in the world, um, and I, I've. I've been frothing for months now <laughs> over this coming weekend, um, and I, I would suggest any of, of your listeners to come on um, this weekend in La Jolla. It'll be at La Jolla Shores. Um, starts, I, I believe, Thursday, running through Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, even if you aren't adaptive or, or don't know any adaptive people, just to come down and cheer cheer us on, um, I think it'll be a great time. And, um, and yeah, it's just there's you know there's quadriplegics and paraplegics and there's all these different divisions of laying down and, and you know and standing up and assisted and, and it's just each in their own right. Everybody's got an incredible story um, and, and an incredible passion for the ocean and I, I really think it's going to be a truly unique, amazing event. No, I wish I, I could get down there. Unfortunately, yeah, you're a bit far. Not able to. A bit far for just a quick weekend yeah. drive, but um, yeah. I'm sure I'll, I'm going to be following it as much. And we'll make sure to put some links for every, all of you to find so you can follow it this weekend. Um, what, what's kind of How do they break your division down as far as what you're going to be doing? Yeah, um, so my division is standing, so it's basically what what that is. You know, you're standing on the on the board, and yeah. um, there's no you can ride whatever board you want. There's no board restrictions. Um, and I'll be bringing a short board, and there'll be other short borders. There'll be guys on long board. Orders. Um, and then we are having two um, two heats, one on Friday and one on Sunday. Um, and it's just the regular, you know, judges, surfing judges is through ISA, so they have a really good judging um, mm-hmm. team. And um, and it's just basically doing the most radical maneuvers you can in the most critical part of the wave, on, on the biggest and best waves. Um, sort of like the same scoring you would see in a professional surfing event. No, I, like I said, let, I encourage everyone to, to go check it out. Um, I know 
Challenge Athlete Foundation's involved, and they're an awesome group that's, that's helping athletes do things well beyond their capabilities or what they thought they, their capabilities were. So it's it's going to be phenomenal. So yeah, we just encourage you to go out there, go go find a mic, go check them out, go go meet all the others. We had our very first guest. If you want to go back and listen, is a gentleman named Charles Webb, and he is a um, individual who'll be who'll be out there as well um go cheer him on um so mike we appreciate it got a couple questions to finish off just this interview yes. um just to leave our listeners with a little bit of just thoughts into your head and inspiration but what, what what is something right now and i always like to get into this with whether it's a guest on the podcast or just my wife or anybody but right now kind of what's something that just inspires you or are you inspired by um i would say i'm really inspired by um Bethany Hamilton and Amy Purdy. Um, there are two amputees, and, and Bethany, you know, was a friend of mine, and she lives on Kauai, and she got attacked by a shark, and, and she's got an incredibly busy lifestyle. Um, and I just like how she deals with all the craziness of life and, and being pulled in every direction with such grace. And um, I, uh, she just does things so well, and I, I really try to model, I guess, my life after her. And um, Amy Purdy, um, she's a um, double amputee, um, snowboarder, world champion, snowboarder in the Paralympics, and I listened to her speak um, last year at Loma Linda University, um, and it was the most incredible talk I've ever heard. Um, and it, it was really powerful, and, and you can listen to it on TED Talks. Um, but she's an, an incredible person, and, and she's a, a very well-spoken young lady, and, and what she's gone through is, is incredible. And, and um, you really have to listen to her speak to understand, but she uh, – I just think of those those two women a lot, um, kind of when I'm, I'm having trouble and how they've handled situations, and um, it, it sort of lifts me up and, and gets me through the day. Awesome. And kind of with that, you talked about day. What are a couple things that you, you do for yourself on a daily basis that kind of help you, encourage you, um, obviously, to, you know, we're called to keep standing, so help you yep. keep standing on a daily basis? Uh, good question. Um, every morning, well, well, recently, the f- last few months, I've been running the beach. Um, th- running for me has been a really new thing. Um, I I got given a, a running prosthetic about a year ago, so I ran the, for the first time in 16 years last year, um, <laughs> which was is a whole nother. I was you know in tears and to be able to to feel what it's like to run again. Um, so I've been running the beach every morning, getting ready for this. Uh, um, certain event just as sort of cross training and it's crazy how just you know running the beach early in the morning nobody around it really clears your mind um and and that's it's been a real blessing to be able to to do that and um kind of a good way to start your day and, and a lot of times in the evenings um when my girlfriend allows I'll, I'll just go down to the beach we have a local beach here um that I, I i you know i spend a lot of time at it's got it's a really good surf spot but i'll just go down there and sit on the sand at night and look at the stars and, and listen to the ocean and you know sort of, you know, just talk to God and give thanks for, you know, all the blessings in my life. And, and, um, and it's just sort of a nice time to kind of dewind. Um, and those two things, the, the running and spending time just alone at the beach and really helps, I guess, keep myself grounded and, and feel thankful for, for all the gifts I've been given and the wonderful people I've, I've been able to meet places I've been able to go. Awesome. Well, we finish the show the same way all the time, but before we do that, one last question is, yep. um, how can people connect with you? How how they can find you? I know you're big on Instagram, and that's kind of your your key spot. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would, I would say um, just follow me on Instagram, and if you have any questions, um, feel free to shoot me a message, um, and, and I'll uh, I'll definitely reply. It's Mike Coots. It's my name, M-I-K-E-C-O-O-T-S, just one word, Mike Coots. Um, and, um, yeah, that's probably the best way to connect. And um, I really just love seeing other, you know, adaptive people on there and what they're doing in their own, you know, worlds. And it's, it's an incredible platform to, to see and share the love around the world. And I can vouch that he will contact, connect with you because that's how we got connected was through Instagram. Yep, yep, yep. So, well, anyways, Mike, appreciate you coming on. Your story is amazing. I'm inspired just hearing hearing what you've gone through and being 17 years after your injury um, and your accident and how you just keep going with life. And like I said, you keep standing. So um, good luck this weekend. We'll be following you. Um, and with that, take care. Thank you, Nathan, and thank you guys for listening to my story. I really appreciate it. Much love from Hawaii. Yeah, and with that, we finish it with the quote, life is 10%. What happens 90% how you respond? Keep standing, everyone.